Welcome everyone, this is Jeff Cohn with the Wall Street Resource, and joining me is Lisa Conte. She's the founder and CEO of Jaguar Health. Welcome, Lisa. Hi, Jeff. Thanks very much. Nice to be here. So, Lisa, for those that aren't familiar with Jaguar Health, can you just give us a quick overview? Oh, sure. I'd be pleased to. So, Jaguar Health and our wholly owned subsidiary, Napo Pharmaceuticals, and I may use Napo or Jaguar interchangeably, we do all our drug discovery from plants used traditionally in tropical areas. And in particular, what we're focusing on now is the commercialization of a product that we took all the way from a discovery process of a tree growing in the rainforest to a first-in-class FDA-approved anti-secretory agent named Profelomer. The trade name is Mitesi. It is natural, sustainably harvested, fair trade, organic, and it's an FDA-approved drug for a first indication of diarrhea in adults living with HIV AIDS who have non-infectious diarrhea and are on antiretroviral therapy. Um, the really wonderful, beautiful thing about this product is not only the initial targetation population that benefit from the product, but it's a pipeline within a product. And we have multiple follow-on indications that are in various stages of development um, right now, we have a phase three clinical trial going on for cancer therapy-related diarrhea, and in particular, prophylaxis in cancer patients who are on targeted therapy with or without psychochemotherapy. Very important indication, not only for the comfort and the quality of the life of the patients, but also so that they are able to maintain the dosage, um, not take drug holidays from their life-saving cancer therapy and potentially have better outcomes from their cancer therapy. Other indications that are in development or where we have done clinical work for future development include irritable bowel syndrome, supportive care for inflammatory bowel disease. We have some investigator-initiated trials going on right now in functional diarrhea and idiopathic diarrhea. We have an orphan designation for short bowel syndrome. We have a pediatric formulation that is in the works and in, in formulation works for a congenital diarrheal disease, a very rare disease in children. So it, it's a wonderful, wonderful compound that can benefit many different patient populations around the world in a supportive care um, type function. Well, very interesting. Uh, it leaves me with a lot of questions, though. Uh, first off, your, your first indication is for what? The first indication is for HIV-related diarrhea. And that is, um, again, in typically it's a chronic situation. Uh, it's non-infectious diarrhea. So there are about 50% of the people living with HIV in the United States right now are over the age of 50, have lived with the virus in their gut for over 10 years. Many of those patients are uh, virally suppressed and their T cells may be completely reconstituted in their blood, but not so much in their gut. And their gut is quite inflamed and it's an inflammation called enteropathy. And it leaves the patients vulnerable to accelerated aging, inflammatory 
uh, disease that may result in accelerated cancers, diabetes, and a chronic leaky gut or chronic diarrhea. So that is a growing demographic of the HIV population. And then there may be diarrhea due to side effects of medications. There may be diarrhea due to the HIV virus itself. Or again, it may be idiopathic. It may have chronic diarrhea for no easily explainable non-infectious situation. And that's our target patient population in, in the HIV indication. And how large a market is that? There's about um, a million people living with HIV AIDS in the United States. About 20% of them are managing diarrhea either chronically or chronic episodically. Okay. And then in terms of competition, um, where do you fit into that competitive landscape? So crofelinor mitesi is an anti-secretory agent. It's a first-in-class mechanism of action. So when you and I think about an anti-diarrheal, you know, maybe we had a bad Mexican meal, go to the drugstore, and you might get some uh, anti-motility agent. And those agents work essentially by the mechanism of constipation. They are opioids or weak opioids, which sort of paralyze the normal peristaltic activity in the gut. So when you think about that, that is not a mechanism that you can use in a chronic situation or is appropriate to be used in a chronic situation. There's also some associated cardiotoxicity. They are, these agents are often contraindicated with some uh, antiretroviral agents. And again, they're, they're opioids, so there's all, you know, the risks associated with that. So as far as anything that has been tested or approved for HIV diarrhea in an HIV population for a chronic disease, there's, not a, there's no competitor. Um, and so what have patients been doing? They work around it. You know, they learn to live with it. How many times have HIV patients been told, you know, stay on your antiretrovirals and this change in your health, this change in your bodily function, this is your new normal. And it's, it's a terminology and a message that I, I really dislike. There's no new normal. There's normal. I don't live with a new normal. I live with a normal. So, you know, patients um, and people living with HIV AIDS, the number of times we've heard they carry extra underwear around with them, they know where every bathroom is within a block of where they live on their way to work, um, they never go on long plane rides, it's changing the mindset that they don't have to live with this comorbidity, they don't have to live with this neglected comorbidity, and that's the message that is equally important to get to healthcare providers as well, that now there is something that can manage this, this symptom. Do, do I think of, is it right to think of your drug and mechanism of action uh, as a platform, and then you're going to go for additional indications from there, or, or are they all different drugs? No, you're, you're exactly right. Um, platform, pipeline, follow-on indications, however, whatever you want to call it, it has to do with the mechanism of how it works. It's a basic normalizing mechanism in the gut, and that's why it has the opportunity to benefit so many different patient populations, those living with HIV, AIDS, those managing cancer therapy, those managing inflammatory disease, 
those managing irritable bowel syndrome, on and on. So typically what happens in watery or secretory diarrhea, there's an insult to the inside wall of the intestine, and that could be a drug insult, that could be in a toxin from an infectious agent, that could be uh, an elevated hormone level like serotonin, 5-HT, but whatever that disruption is, it causes uh, an abnormal flow of chloride ions through a channel into the gut, and then water comes in based on osmosis, and that's the watery diarrhea. So what crophelomer does is it works to normalize that abnormal ion flow. So if you or I are, are perfectly normal, you swallow a whole bottle of mitesi, nothing happens to you. It normalizes the abnormal ion flow, and that normalizes the water flow, and that specifically mitigates the water loss, the dehydration, and does so with, therefore, without interfering with motility, without interfering with normal peristaltic activity, so you don't get the constipation that you would see with an anti-motility. You don't interfere with the normal movement and absorption of other life-saving medication in a complicated patient, like a cancer patient, like an HIV patient, like a patient living with uh, IBD. And also, the drug is, uh, crophelomer is not systemically absorbed or certainly not to any measurable level. So there's no drug-drug interaction. You have no first-pass effect, you have no drug levels, you have no secondary metabolites that are causing problems later on. So it has a remarkably safe profile in dozens of clinical trials, thousands of patients. We've never seen a side effect profile different than placebo. Again, really, really important in complicated patients where you don't want to interfere with their life-saving medication. And because we're not an antibiotic, you don't have resistance, you don't have tolerance, a really, really beautiful safety profile of the product. So your, your first product that got approved, I'm certain you had, you had to go through the full FDA approval process. What's the regulatory pathway for additional indications or additional uses? Yeah, so my Tessie... Um, it, which is the product that is approved and commercialized. It's the exact same Mitesi formulation, dose and pill, that's right now in a pivotal trial for cancer therapy-related diarrhea. So what we're all about in this company is risk mitigation. Drug development is a, is a risk-based endeavor. It's a relatively long endeavor compared to lots of different things that you could do in life. And I used to say 30 years ago when I started the company, you know, if you had 10 different products that were in preclinical development, you had 10 disappointments in your future. Um, so we now have a drug that is approved, and it's approved for a chronic indication. So as we take Mitesi into the clinic, as we are now for follow-on indications right now for cancer therapy-related diarrhea in a phase three clinical trial, we have a product that already has chronic safety completed because with the chronic indication we've done, for example, two years carcinogenicity studies. We have a product that is obviously manufactured under GMP, good manufacturing practices in FDA-approved facilities because we take it from a tree in the rainforest to essentially any single pharmacy in the United States. 
And for filed new drug applications, safety and manufacturing are the most common reasons why those NDAs do not get approved, those new drug applications do not get approved. So now, we, now you've got to design your pivotal program. What we did in further risk mitigation is engaged in collaborative discussions with the FDA, with the division that will, actually with two divisions, the cancer division and the GI division, for almost two years to get agreement on the pivotal protocol, on the patient enrollment criteria, on the endpoint definition, on the statistics that would be used, so that there is that agreement before we actually started the trial. We didn't want to do a phase three clinical trial, bring it to the FDA and have them say, great, you know, if only you had looked at A, B, and C, you know, go back and do another study. So it's, it's all about the risk mitigation of having five or six additional indications, additional populations that we could eventually, once they're approved, promote for and educate for, but from the same drug that is already a drug that's out there on the market right now. Great. And, and then so how long has your lead product been on the market? The product initially got approved and was available to patients in 2000, essentially available to patients in 2014. It was not commercialized by us at that time, and it had a different name, and it was being commercialized by a party that didn't have a particular interest or strength in particular in the HIV community. And so we got the commercial rights back to the product. We have global unencumbered rights to the product. Gave it a new name, Mitesi. Um, put, you know, put the appropriate type of education and promotion in place with healthcare professionals and directly to the patient community itself. And we comprehensively launched the product ourselves in March, April of 2018. Okay, so what fueled its uh, recent revenue growth? So we, this is the first product that we um, ever commercialized. We d discovered it and we developed it and, you know, our, our innovative approach and our distinct competency is in plant-based, natural, non-opioid um, uh, prescription medicines, particularly in the GI area. And as I said, there was another commercial partner in place. So when we got it back, we got our, an education handed to us about commercializing drugs in the United States and how to work with insurance companies and the prior authorizations and the obstacles that are in front of patients to get their prescriptions filled. So we would do all this hard work about educating healthcare professionals and patients about Vitesse the condition, the, the value in managing it, the novel mechanism of action, they'd get a prescription. And we found that almost two-thirds of these prescriptions were not getting filled because of obstacles of reimbursement and insurance companies. So being well-informed of this over about a two-year period of time, we brought on a new commercial leader, Chief, and um, designed a whole patient access program that has components, for example, we have a, a hub service that will do all the administrative work for a physician, for 
a prior authorization to make it easier on the physician to just have to fill out the required medical information and then follow it through to the insurance company. Typically, they get kicked back automatically, so then it gets resubmitted. And instead of the patient having to sit on the phone with the insurance company, if there's an appeal situation, our hub service will sit on the phone. So we'll, we'll relieve those types of burdens for prior authorizations. We increased our copay, so no patient who is paying a copay ever pays more than, than $25. We have a fast start program, so when all this time is going on to get the prior authorization, get the insurance company to cover the prescription that the physician prescribed, you know, the, the, the physician, the intimate relationship between the physician and the patient is being interfered with by the insurance company, we can send some free drug while we're helping work through that insurance process. We have a free drug program for those who slip through the cracks and have no insurance. And we implemented all that and planned it over a couple of months, and it happened to get launched in uh, April of this year. So who knew, you know, that what was going to happen with COVID and our, our uh, reps, for the most part, were going to be sheltered at home. So uh, we, we did have some amazing growth in the sales of my Tessie. It increased somewhere between three and, and five-fold, and we've continued at that new level. And we think just how much more could it have been had we actually been able to have our reps out. Um, but we all continue to grow because we're continuing to put um, new tools in place. We now just started with a specialty pharma situation, so patients are easily reminded to refill their prescriptions. This is a chronic situation. It's a, chronic, a drug that should be administered chronically. Um, so we feel really good about getting the commercial business to a sustainable place by probably mid to late 2021, meaning we're, we'll be living within our means how much we, we sell and how much it costs to run the commercial business. And so this is scripted, correct? Yes, it is. Okay. And, and so uh, are you doing this through your own sales force or, or what? We are. We have a wonderful team of 10 reps, and in all the typical urban areas that you would expect for an indication that is an HIV indication. And uh, we, and right now we're planning for the, the follow-on indication and cancer indication, you know, pre-education, pre-launch planning would start now for something that if all goes well, we would expect to have approved in um, early to mid-2023 Okay. in the United and then, States. And so you're taking on a lot in terms of other indications. Do you, do you have any um, partners or any partnering strategy? We do have a partnering strategy, yes. And um, so right now, for this is a team, we have 15 of us have been together, or 10 of us have been together for over 15 years. Three of us have been together for, for over 30 years. So we're a development team that works really efficiently and knows this mechanism of action, knows clinical trial design, knows how to get this product approved. So we're taking the lead on that in the United States. And what we're seeking is partners for development, regulatory approval and strategy, and commercialization outside of the United States. And we felt that it was important that we at least get the cancer program 
started since that's such a valuable program, a much larger patient population than the HIV population, to get partners in place that would recognize the value that we have in crofelomer because crofelomer mitesi is mitesi. We can't split it up and partner A in Europe, for example, sell it for one indication and partner B for another indication. It is, you know, it, it is one product that potentially will have all these different indications. And the value of seeking partnerships outside the United States is we're looking at non-dilutive dollars. We're a microcap company, and it's, it's a tough environment to be in in the market to get the value of the company recognized because sometimes you're too small for big financial institutions to buy in. And so we have to, you know, one, one step, one small, small step at a time, try to get the value of this company recognized. And so we've committed ourselves to not doing dilutive financings at this point, no structured financings. And we're financing our phase three clinical trial with a non-dilutive royalty type financing, which we are able to do because we do have meaningful sales of MITESI for the HIV indication. And the other type of non-dilutive financing would come from corporate partnerships and expected licensing deals outside of the United States. Okay. And then are you manufacturing yourself or is that outsourced? It is uh, outsourced to contract manufacturers. The product, as I said, it's a natural product, so we supply it from South America sustainably, fair trade, organic, the whole thing. Um, and then it goes, right now, it goes to our contract manufacturer for the API in India, Glenmark Pharmaceuticals. And then that API comes to United States to Patheon, and it gets uh, put in its finished product form and in a bottle and then it goes to the wholesalers and, and the retailers and now the specialty pharmacies. Um, we are bringing on a secondary manufacturer as we get to the follow-on indications and are getting to much larger quantities of product that is needed. And there's very much a scale issue associated with this product. So the more of it that we make, the lower the cost of goods, the, the greater the profitability and, and everything starts to go in the, in the right direction. And supply chain, the raw material, is not a problem? No, it is. It's a beautiful, beautiful conservation story, and it, it's not completely by luck. So years and years ago, when we were doing a basic discovery technology by looking at plants that were used traditionally for different types of symptoms, one of which was diarrhea and different infectious symptoms, um, the prioritization process included things like, gee, what is the supply of the product? We didn't want to end up with a, a rare taxol-type situation. So it is a beautiful conservation story. If we had a billion-dollar product tomorrow, which we might not have tomorrow, but I expect we will have at some point in the future, we'd use about one-tenth of one percent of what's naturally occurring in the rainforest. But what we have been doing for the past 20 years is reforestation in agroforestry systems so it's never on monoculture and near rivers and near roads and workforces so that the cost of the raw plant material is not, in fact, the cost of labor marching into the rainforest for days on end to collect the material. So it does provide income for forest-dwelling individuals and families and businesses for the most part. You know, we, we don't have any ownership there. There's a little bit of land that we inherited, but for the most part, 
It's owned by those forest-dwelling businesses. And um, we do have a nonprofit called the Healing Forest Conservancy. And when we achieve profitability, there is a benefit-sharing component that recognizes the contribution of the intellectual knowledge of the indigenous populations from which we learned about the plant. Well, I, I hate to, to pivot to a, a question about money after all the good you're doing, but uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask. In terms of revenue, do, do you have a reimbursement code? How much is the product? What type of gross margins? So the we just um, put out our third quarter numbers. I should know them off the top of my head. The, the, I believe the gross sales were around $6.3 million, and the net sales, and I might be off by a little bit here, were about $3.2 million. As I said, I might be off by a little bit. I probably should check that. And um, uh, the product is uh, 90, uh, essentially 100% reimbursed by Medicaid, um, ADAP, which is the insurance usually of last resort for people living with HIV, AIDS, about 270 million lives on, on private insurance. So it, it, is, it does typically require a prior authorization, and that's why the hub service is very, very important. But for the most part, for HIV, we get this product reimbursed, but there is some cost on our part, on our commercial side, associated with assistance to, to get that done. Okay. And so as we look out, over the next, let's say, 12 months, are, are there any, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's a, a number of events and catalysts, but what are some of the near-term events and catalysts or data? Oh, boy, there's so many. Um, let's see, on the financial side, as I said, um, continued growth in the, the sales of the product, and we're aiming on the commercial side of the business to be sustainable by mid 2000. 21, and that is taking into account the world that we're living in right now with COVID and shelter at home and some of the difficulty in being able to have direct um, educational access to some of the healthcare providers. On the clinical side, so we just very recently started our phase three clinical trial, the pivotal trial for cancer therapy-related diarrhea, and we did a um, fantastic education day, Diarrhea Dialogues, which can be accessed on our, our website, um, which talks about the importance, as I mentioned, not only to patient comfort, but potentially outcomes by allowing them to, to stay on their medications. So there'll be progress in that clinical trial very shortly. There'll be the, the first patient dose. There'll be initial sites that are, are brought on. The overall clinical um, implementation will be close to a two-year period of time. We do have one, two, three investigator-initiated trials that are going on right now, and uh, one is in cancer therapy-related diarrhea and um, in breast cancer patients who are on um, Herceptin. It's being funded by Genentech. So that will read out sometime in 2021. The last patient is just in the last couple of days of treatment right now in that study. Then the two investigator-initiated trials, the other two are in functional diarrhea and idiopathic diarrhea and include some IBS patients. So we'll have data on those likely in 2021. We have... Um, a biome study looking at the microbiome and the maintenance of a healthy 
microbiome or the return to a healthy microbiome in people living with HIV AIDS, so on the current labeled indication. And that trial is over, and the data is being read out right now, so that'll come out in the beginning of 2021. So these are are meaty-type milestones. These are clinically related milestones. There's also um, another activity in a pediatric liquid formulation for a very rare congenital diarrheal disease that will be moving into the clinic uh, also in likely the first half of 2021, both in the United States and in collaboration with sites in the Mideast where congenital diseases are often much more prevalent because of the culture of marrying within a family, consanguineous marriages. So all that on the human side. Um, On the commercial side, there will be continued additions to our patient access program. It's called NAPO Care, so we'll be bringing on additional specialty pharmacies and, and other activities there to keep the commercial growth going. And then we have a small division, and small animal health division, but the first product is Canalevia, which is crophelomer for dogs with chemotherapy-induced diarrhea, very analogous to, in fact, the, almost the same mechanism of action that you have in humans, in dogs, and exercise-induced diarrhea. These are considered um, uh, rare diseases, orphan diseases in animals. That designation is actually called MUMS. And uh, those pieces of the new animal drug application are almost all on file. There's one piece left, and those products should be launched in mid-2021 as well. And we just brought on a, a wonderful employee to head up uh, veterinary commercialization to prepare for those products as well. So we've got a, a lot of meaty news coming up. Yeah, sounds like it. And it looks like I caught you at a really interesting time. You know, we, we were uh, founded as a, a drug discovery company with a novel approach to innovative drug discovery and development and hadn't really planned on getting into commercialization, but we, we are enjoying it now and getting the hang of it and realize there's as much innovation in commercialization, certainly with the challenges in the United States reimbursement um, setting. And uh, really pleased with how things are going now. Well, great. Well, listen, thank you so much for sharing the story. Okay, thank you.